What is up, bros, and welcome to the second episode of the Gacy Gazette. If you guys are just tuning in to this limited series podcast that we have on the All Bros, um, I'm Jonathan. If you guys haven't uh, listened to the All Bros at all, um, I am the co-host of uh, the All Bros. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but so uh, this is our first spinoff. This is our first spinoff series that we are doing. Um, and in this spinoff series, um, I am breaking down and mostly just talking about, not really breaking down because I'm not really reviewing anything because it's kind of hard to review a, a documentary, I feel, because you can't really call them out for something that they got wrong or something because from what I know about John Wayne Gacy, they literally got everything right. Um, but so I feel this is more so, you know, just talking about it, uh, really diving into him giving my thoughts about the whole documentary but yeah anyway um so if you guys haven't listened to the first episode of the gacy gazette i definitely recommend that you go listen to it i go in depth of uh what this mini series is going to be about um i explain how i was introduced to john wayne gacy and i also talk about my um little murder murder abelia collection that i have about john wayne gacy um because you know i'm not psycho but some might say that I am. Um, so yeah. Um, but if you guys want to watch along uh, with this miniseries, by all means, I would love for you guys to watch along with me. Um, this miniseries is, or mini documentary series, however you want to say it, um, is now streaming on Peacock. Um, and if you guys do not have Peacock, I'm not saying that you should watch it this way, but it is on YouTube. <laughs> Um, just search John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise, Episode 1, Episode 2, yada, yada, yada. Um, and there are six episodes, as, as far as I can remember. Um, you think that I would remember that, considering that, you know, going to be talking about this uh, miniseries. But, um, yeah. So, Episode 1, which is titled The Trigger. And I freaking love how this this episode opens up because literally it's just so it's of course a black screen and it's a caption that says you know in 1978 john wayne gacy was arrested for um uh being suspected not not suspected being he was convicted of killing 33 young men and boys and literally ever since 1978 he talked to to virtually no press no one um, because his lawyers told him to not, um, yeah, just not talk to anyone, not try to burn the, uh, not burn the fire, but you know, light, like, I don't even know what the wording I'm going with for this, but they did not want him to, uh, like, um, oh my God, there's a word for this and I can't for the life of me come to what I want it to be. Um, fan the flame. I think that's the word I'm looking for. Um, because, you know, him being at the time, uh, he was the uh, most, uh, in, he had, uh, I think he was the most infamous serial killer because he had the most uh, body count at the time that he was arrested. And of course, serial killers since then have topped him, unfortunately, which is very, very sad. Um, and like, like I said in the first episode, this is definitely going to be a lot more serious than um you guys are used to with the all bros um because you know me and caleb you know joke around guk 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 um but this is definitely a lot more serious of all of course you know just throwing a couple jokes here and there but it will never be out of bad taste i would never want to do that to the victims to the families never would want to do that um but you know john wayne gacy as a person can you know rot in hell for all i care um but yeah so Episode 1, The Trigger. Like I said, this starts off with them saying, uh, you know, um, up until this point, John Wayne Gacy has never been uh, interviewed since he was arrested in 1978. And the interview that follows, at least the snippet, because throughout the whole miniseries, at the beginning of each episode... Um, you get like a 30 second snippet from the interview, which is so cool. It's really cool. 
Um, because this is literally the first time that we get to, at least from what I've seen, this is the first time you actually hear John Wayne Gacy's voice. And it, it's, it's insane. It's so interesting. Because from what I've seen, the only other times besides this interview were just like interviews that people had um, seen on news. And of course, that's like, you know, like filmed footage. So it doesn't really look that good. Whereas for being 1992, I feel this interview looks super, super good quality. It's kind of amazing. Um, so, sorry, I'm getting off tangent here. <laughs> Very excited about this uh, miniseries. Um, and, you know, yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, so the interview, um, starts up, and it is, uh, Robert Ressler, who is condone, uh, conducting the interview, um, and there is also another man in the room with him that is also there for the interview, and I will get to him, uh, who that man is, uh, very soon, but Robert Ressler, um, who, um, as many, or, not many, sorry, um, he was actually basically one of the first that, uh, kind of condone, not condone the word, but came up with really, I, um, what's the word? Uh, defined, that's the word I'm looking for, defined the term serial killer. Because, like, he, um, picked up all their mannerisms, you know, what really isn't a serial killer, because as far as I know, yeah, he, he's literally, um, he, was a part of the Gacy uh, case from the beginning, since 1978. Um, I don't know if he had anything to do with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or uh, Ted Bundy. Um, if he did, that's very interesting. Um, but as far as I know, his biggest one that really helped him basically define the term serial killer, uh, biggest influence was John Wayne Gacy, because honestly... Um, I feel uh, up until this point, there were serial killers, but John Wayne Gacy was, he, he was a whole other story. I mean, 33 victims, 33 young men and boys is just absolutely insane. And like I said, the guy deserves to rot in hell um, for what he did to not only these young men that don't, they never got to see a future, which is truly so sad. Um, but also to what he did to the families, not being able to see their kids grow up. Um, just, yeah, what a truly sick, evil man. And like I said, I hope he rots in hell. Um, but so the interview starts up with Robert Ressler, um, asking, you know, um, ever since your, your case started, you've really, uh, kept a, uh, low profile you really haven't um talked about it and he you know mentions you know like there there are some people that uh have said that they had had an interview with you and um it had gotten out there about that and gacy chimes in he's just like oh that that's hogwash that that is strictly hogwash i i am constantly um misquoted saying that i said this and then i said that and it, it's absolutely not true um and, you know, Robert Wrestler is just like, okay, so this is the first time um, that you are talking about your case. And Gacy says, yes, um, you know, as far as I, as far as what I was told and what I had seen, that my lawyers were taking care of it because he did, because he literally said the media was looking for sensationalism. They were looking for the monster, um, a uh, because they were, they would say, oh, he was a, uh, what did the word, um, they were, um, they would call him a homosexual thrill, a uh, homosexual thrill killer, um, where he would stalk the, uh, they, they said that he would, uh, stalk the, um, the streets looking for young men's and boys and he would, he, he would pick them off like flies. And of course, Gacy's just like, oh, you know, I, I never did that. That, that wasn't a thing. Um, yeah, that, that, that did not happen. Um, and just so hearing Gacy's voice for the first time, like I said, this was my first introduction to John Wayne Gacy. So like I, my first introduction was actually hearing his voice. I was, uh, wasn't, uh, like a person that was just like, oh my God, this is like, I've, I've been studying this guy for over 20 years and I finally get to like actually hear his voice. No, this was my first introduction was literally hearing his voice. That is the first thing you hear besides Robert Ressler's voice in this documentary, uh, miniseries um and so you know after gacy says um you know uh 
how, you know, they were looking for sensationalism. They were looking for the monster. They said this about me. Um, Robert Ressler says um, this, like, chilling. Not not him that says this chilling, but just the way that Gacy answers. Uh, he said, he asks, but you were indicted, convicted, and sentenced on 33 counts of homicide. Um, and he says, is that correct? And Gacy just answers, that's correct. And then it just cuts to the freaking intro of this series. And whoever did the music, kudos to you. Because, oh my goodness, the score in this documentary is incredible. It is incredible. The main the main intro theme, I get freaking chills whenever I hear it. Um, and especially like the flashback, the, the way that it's like put up, it's like showing... Um, it's like a montage, and it's like showing pictures of Gacy, him as Pogo the Clown. It's showing the pictures of the house, newspaper clippings, and then the final shot is of, um, you literally just see his mouth. Um, it's just from his mouth down, um, and then it just says, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. And it's such a great intro, and it's amazing. And literally, that's our first, that, that is our kickstart into uh, John Wayne Gacy, The Devil in disguise um so once uh that ends we are um transitioned into news uh clippings of of the event um news clippings saying uh you know uh it was discovered in a um chicago home bodies buried under this um well-respected um gentleman's house uh, 29 bodies were discovered under his house. Uh, four other were discovered, um, in other places of his place. I think so. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so, um, yeah, and they point out how, uh, Robert Peace's disappearance led to the discovery. Here it is. Of 29 bodies under and around his house, and then four bodies in the nearby streams. And Robert Peast was one of the uh, bodies that was um, found in one of the uh, Displain- in the Displains River. And they do touch upon that later on in the documentary series, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I'm kind of spoiling that. I apologize. Um, but so they, they do go... Um, they definitely do talk about more uh, about Robert Peace, of course, as as the documentary series goes on. And so, after all these um, news clippings about the whole about about the event, we're introduced to Craig Bally. And Craig Bally is a man who, um, you know, was basically went through what people. Everyone did in 1978 when this this news story broke, where um, he talks about how literally he was folding his laundry one night, um, and he sees on the news bodies discovered under under a uh, Chicago home, man in custody. They say that there could be upwards of 33 young men and boys um, uh, that were discovered under uh, John Wayne Gacy's house. Um, and so after that, he kind of, um, you know, just started diving into the whole, um, the whole, uh, situation. And he actually started to write, uh, Gacy in, he says either 83 or 84, he can't remember. And it took till 1988 for John Wayne Gacy to, um, start writing back to him. Um, and with this, he actually started writing, um, he thought about what he wanted to do. With all the information that he got from Gacy, as as he started writing back, he didn't know if he wanted to write a book or if he wanted to write a short film. He was kind of in a toss-up, um, but he points out that his interest was a lot more personal because he really just wanted to know why. Could, could, could one human being really do something like this? Could they really take 33 innocent lives off the face of the earth and literally feel no sympathy for it none whatsoever um no matter what um snippets you see of gacy literally he has no remorse for the victims not at all he from because um like i said i'm getting ahead of myself and i apologize uh guys but yeah he of course he admitted to them but yet he admitted to the crimes, but yet years later, he's just like, oh, no, I, I never did that. I, I don't know how those bodies wound up under under my uh, 
under my um under my house in my crawl space. I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. I I I don't know how that happened. Yada yada yada. Um so going back to Craig Bally. Um so he talks about how um he uh decided to start recording his uh um conversations with Gacy just because he couldn't um write that fast and you know what i would have done the exact same thing if i actually got to um talk with 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 this kind of serial killer i honestly wouldn't care how much i would have to pay to talk to someone like this i would love to be able to just pick their brain just like i said i wouldn't care how much it would cost it would just be worth it and i would i I, yeah i agree with uh craig bally i would record every single minute of it because yeah i wouldn't be able to write down that fast either I would be screwed. <laughs> so I would absolutely um, record um, my conversations as well. Um, and in one of these conversations, as it's go- as you know, he's mentioning this, he uh, um, it cuts to an audio clip of Gacy talking about how during one of these calls, um, because uh, Bally returns a call, and he's just like, "Hey, you know, J- uh, John, what are you doing up so early?" And Gacy responds, um, he was sitting in his underwear, warm, um, because of everything that was going on with his case. Uh, literally nothing was going right. Um, he was still being convicted of everything. His, um, his, uh, oh my god. Wow. I am like, for some reason the word is escaping me. Um, his lawyer, Sam Amaranti who they do get to later on in the um, documentary. Excuse me, I'm so sorry about that, guys. He feels that he's not doing as good, he's not doing the job that he needs to. And so Gacy mentions how just because he is so aggravated, he's jumped up, what is it, 25 pounds in a month. Um, Because whenever he gets this aggravated, he literally um, just eats everything in sight. Um, Yeah, literally, literally everything that 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 is what uh john wayne gacy does when he's that what what he did when he was that aggravated he literally and i apologize for the page turning guys just gotta you know look at some more notes here (laughs) um god i'm as bad of apologizing on this um as i am on just the regular albro as well um but yeah when gacy was upset and pissed off he literally ate everything in sight if you guys wanted to know that Um, so, um, Robert, not Robert Wrestler, wow, Craig Bally, um, it was, it's showcased that, um, he started visiting, um, John Wayne Gacy, um, I believe he said, um, every three months, um, for three days, literally from 1989 to when he was executed in 1994, um, and he points out that Gacy was the one that wanted to be interviewed. Um, but of course, um, the um, the FBI, the uh, um, the state's correctional facility, they didn't want that. They didn't want to give Gacy any more attention than they had to. Um, but uh, Craig Bally reached out to Robert Ressler and said, hey, you know, maybe if I can get you... To conduct the interview with me, maybe that can be the push um, to get them to um, give the thumbs up for this interview, um, for this first on-camera interview with John Wayne Gacy. Um, and so, like like I pointed out, uh, Robert Ressler earlier, um, he helped establish the FBI's behavioral unit that invest in, in wow investigates investigates serial killers. Um, and as he's talking about, you know, serial killers and especially John Wayne Gacy, he talks about how John Wayne Gacy enjoys dominance. He enjoys power. Um, he he um, he he really saw that he enjoyed um, being in control of people. That, that that's how John Wayne Gacy was. Um, and so like uh, so like I said, uh, wrestler is contacted 
by Craig Bally to have him come out to the Men Menard Correctional Facility where Gacy was being held um, to um, interview Gacy with him because uh, that would literally be the only way, really, it seemed, that they would actually let this interview happen. And honestly, I think it's awesome that they were able to get this because I feel that this is history because, you know... Um, this is the first, um, I mean, I know that, um, you know, there's interviews with Bundy, there's interviews with Dahmer, but Gacy is the one that inter interests me the most out of the three, because I feel those are the most notorious talked about serial killers. John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, and Jeffrey Dahmer. And John Wayne Gacy, even after, you know, him being like really the first one that I was really introduced to, um... Um, and then, you know, also learning about Bundy and Dahmer, Gacy was the one that I was always found the most, like, fascinating. And I promise, I don't mean that as, oh my god, like, he was, you know, the way that he was just, you know, so fascinating. I think it's so cool. No, like I said, he deserves to, he's deserves to rot now. I hope he's rotting in hell. And you know what, honestly, I hope he's, I, yeah, just, I, yeah. But anyway, getting back to, um... Wow. Where was I? Wow, sorry guys. Um So yeah, so um yeah, so they're able to uh get out to uh the uh Menard Correctional Facility um to actually interview um John Wayne Gacy. Like I said, first interview as far as I know. And the way that they talk about it, um that was the first interview uh, that John Wayne Gacy had ever had on camera. So, which is really so crazy to think, like I said, too. And like I said, um, th this is, I feel, just like something for the history books. Um, because, you know, of course, since Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, the Columbine shooters, um, which was another event that I definitely dived uh, a lot into, um, because, you know, they killed themselves. Um, they were never able to be interviewed. Nothing happened after that. Um, so the fact seeing a uh, serial killer that I uh, have really learned as much as I can about their case, seeing them actually interviewed, so interesting to me. So, so interesting to me. Um, so this interview took place on May 4th, 1992. And uh, before the interview begins, um, Craig Bowley actually asked them, Hey, so can we remove the handcuffs and the shackles from, uh, well, actually, I don't know if they actually, no, yeah, because it, it was all attached. So, um, he actually asked the, um, I think the warden and the corrections officer that was there, he's just like, Hey, you know, can we remove the handcuffs? And they look at each other and they're just like, yeah, sure. Why not? First time that he has ever seen Gacy free, his hands free, not handcuffed. Um, and so after this, um, also before the interview begins, um, they're kind of joking, not joking, but Gacy mentions, um, you know, cause he really wants to make sure that this interview goes well. Um, he's just like, um, yeah, as far as sound quality goes, if I, if, if, if I have my head down like this, is this going to affect your sound quality? And, um, Craig Bally is just like, um, or Bally, I'll probably just call him by the last name. It's just like, no, you, but you know, like if you're going to break into a, break into a song, just let, um, wrestler know. And Gacy's just like, well, I'm not going to break into any song. Um, and then Gacy also, uh, points out, um, how he's just like, you know, with the bleeping of the language, I'll watch the language, but some just don't understand that I tell it as it is. Um, and as the, and as the series goes on, you can definitely tell that. Um, G Gacy, uh, definitely does not, um, he, he has a filter, but, uh, you know, not as many others have maybe as much of a filter as I have. Cause if you guys have listened to the all bros, you all know my potty mouth. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, so after that, after, you know, the setup of the interview, we, we, I feel we jump into this documentary series. We really jump in. And so it's showcasing Chicago 1978 in December. Um, and we're introduced to Jay Levine. I hope I'm saying that right. 
who worked for ABC7 Chicago. Um, and he was one of the first um, news people. I know that's not the right word. I guess news anchors? Yeah, news anchors. Um, that uh, basically was told about the the Gacy story. Um, because uh, he had walked into his apartment late that night. Uh, what was it? January... Not January. December... Uh, what was it? December 13th. It was December 12th or December 13th. Or... Oh my god, no. Gacy was a... I am so sorry, guys. When was Gacy arrested? Oh my god. Wow. This just shows how much research I did. When was... Gacy rested. There we go. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if you gave me a date and not just uh, the um, the year. Come on. Uh, where the hell is it? Gacy is arrested. Maybe it's here. December 21st, 1978. That is when John Wayne Gacy was arrested. And so that night, um, he had gotten... Or was that the... No, I think... No, I think this was December 20th. He had gotten a call late at night. He literally had just walked into his apartment building. And um, the phone was ringing as he walked in. And, um, the call, literally the only thing the caller said was get to, what was his address? Um, get to 8213 West Somerdale right away. I guarantee it will be worth it. And that is literally when the Gacy, um, really when the Gacy story really, really took off was right there. Um, and with that, after that really, um, at the, after that, um, that's when, uh, the name, uh, Robert Peast started to surface. That was, his was the first name to surface because he was the missing person's person that literally, uh, spiraled this case into, thankfully, what it led to and the arrest of John Wayne Gacy. Because once this story broke, Chicago had never seen anything like this. This was the biggest story of not only the 70s, but hell, I'm sure it was probably, I feel it's probably the biggest case Chicago has ever seen. Um, but that's, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, and it's pointed out with Robert Peast, um, the, um, the uh, chief of the Displays Police Department, Joe Kozenzak, um, it's pointed out how, you know, him and his detectives of the Displays Police Department weren't trying uh, to write the book on serial killers on December 12th, 1978. They were just looking for a missing boy. That's all they were looking for. That's all they were looking for. Uh, because to them, and this is what um, Robert Peace's parents pointed out, literally Robert Peace was, he was a really good kid. He loved his family. He loved school. Literally nothing... Um, Nothing would have made you think that um, he would run away. Um, and, you know, I know that, you know, kids can uh, hide that kind of stuff. Um, but just from what you what you see, he just he, he was a good kid. There, there would be no reason why he would run away, according to his parents. Um, because his mom points out in an interview that she did that um, they knew that uh, he had been taken um, not by his choosing, and if he would have been able to come home, he would have. Um, and so, uh, af so once we're introduced to uh, Joe Kozenzak, we're also introduced to David, and I feel I'm going to butcher this name, ha Hackmeister? Hackmeister, I hope I'm saying that right, who 
was one of the um, lead detectives on uh, Gacy's case where he was one of the... um, Because there were two groups that would keep watch of Gacy's um, house. Um, Every night, um, they would be watching uh, both the front door and the back door. Um, well, sorry. There were two surveillance teams that would be one would be watching him during the day, and one would be watching him at night. One parked in front of the house, and one parked on the side of the house, just in case Gacy decided to come out the back way. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, Heikmeister got a call from Kozenzak on December thirteenth about peace, about you know, hey, you know, we have this missing boy. He was last seen at his job um, at Nissan Pharmacy. Um, and you know, his mom believes that something is truly wrong because he he's not the kind of kid that would just run away. That, that That's not something that she believes that her son would do. And so, yeah, so, so on December, um, before this, December 13th, on December 11th, his mom came to her son's place of employment, which was Nissan Pharmacy, to pick him up from, to pick Robert up from his shift. Um, before, you know, they were going to go home. He comes out to his mom and says, um, you know, hey, there's a contractor here um, that I want to talk to really quickly. Um, I I could be making substantially more if I if if I can get a job with him. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to be a quick, uh, just a couple minutes. Just want to, you know, talk with the guy and I'll be right out. And um, she says, you know, I told him it'd be no problem, and I'd wait for him. And she says, um, you, you could tell that he was very excited. Um, and unfortunately, that was the last time that she saw her son. Um, but by nine, so like I said, so yeah, that was the last time she saw him because by nine p.m. he wasn't back yet. Um, like I pointed out, Rob was extremely close to his family. Um, and in the seventies and even nowadays in Chicago, missing persons were a dime a dozen. Um, just, they, they just didn't happen really. Um, and, um, his mother made a statement shortly after on his case and said how she wondered who the contractor was. Um, and of course, you know, after, uh, after this, you know, after the parents, I should probably explain that more more better. Sorry. So the parents go to, um, the, uh, displays police department. Um, and you know, they fill out a missing persons, um, uh, paper or file. Um, and they're, you know, they, uh, of course, uh, one thing is just like, Oh, last, last known sighting. And, you know, Nissan pharmacy where he worked. And so she remembers that him mentioning, oh, I'm going to talk to a contractor about a job. And she's like, you know, I wonder who the, you know, the, who the contractor was. Um, and I believe Kozenzak says that, um, uh, a, a officer overheard her say that. And so they decide to do some digging on who that contractor was. And they come up with, um, the conclusion that it's uh, a fellow by the name of John Wayne Gacy. Um, so, um, and because the reason why Gacy was there is because Gacy's expertise was that he remodeled pharmacies. Um, and, um, before this, this was like when he was like, this was when PDM contractors, which, um, was his own company and which came a, became a corporation in 1974. Um, if you guys wanted to know that. Um, this was when it was at its pe- at its peak. Um, literally, Gacy was making I think uh, like over a million dollars a year. Gacy was doing so well financially; it's it's, it's amazing. Um, well, not amazing because you know who he was, but you know just how much money he was making for literally him building the company from the ground up. It's it's crazy. It is truly crazy. Um, and so uh, after it became a corporation. Um, he then owned a PDM Contractors Corporation. Um, I think I just pointed that out, right? Same thing. Sorry, guys. Um, but he also owned PDM Plumbing, PDM Concrete, and PDM Decorating. Um, and uh, for and I don't think I I haven't even said this. PDM stands for Plumbing, Decorating, and Maintenance. Um, and um, 
One of the well-known things about John Wayne Gacy was that he hired teenagers between the ages of 16 and 20. Now, Robert Peace was 15, so he did start to go younger. But for the most part, in his earlier cr- uh, crime spree, I guess you could say, um, he um, stuck with between ages 16 um, and 20. And so the... Um, you know, one, once this is said about Gacy, um, it leads into a um, one of actually uh, a a former employee of his um, that thankfully did not meet the fate of a lot of his uh, employees. Um, that, yeah, y- you guys get what I mean. Excuse me, um, but his name is Anthony. I'm at hope. I know I'm going to butcher this so bad. Anthony Antonucci. Um, and he points out that uh, Gacy was a decent boss. Uh, he liked to joke around a lot. Um, with um, him being kind of heavier set, he kind of gave off more of a jovial vibe. He was very joking. Um, um, and he points out um, that, you know, after the whole case broke and he found out about all these, uh, you know, all these bodies... Um, he's, he's, he, he was thinking, you know, like, yeah, maybe I, I should have been, um, you know, scared, but, but, uh, but he wasn't. And that was kind of what made Gacy, especially even more scary because he, he was able to put on two fronts because, you know, he was able to come across as this nice guy, this really down to earth boss joking but of course he was a monster um so so yeah that that's really what anthony uh says about gacy um like i said i'm grateful that he um was not affected by john Wayne gacy i'm grateful that nothing happened with him thank thank goodness um and so uh they talk about how when gacy was questioned about the disappearance of robert peast um, he got very defensive, and that's actually what really pushed um, Joe Kozenzak and his team um, at the Des Plaines Police Department to really dive into um, who John Wayne Gacy was, um, what's his background. Um, and this led into, um, yeah, really, you know, doing a background check. And in the 1970s, specifically 1978, um, there were... Uh, background checks weren't uh instantaneously like they are now literally you know just run a name through uh the computer system social not social security guard yeah social security guard card guard i keep saying guard but card no not that literally you can just search someone's name info is just right there nowadays but back then no not not in this specifically 1978 um and because of this um the alpha file is uh what they searched um to um is how they found out what they needed to know about John Wayne Gacy. That was literally um that's how you um instantaneously quote unquote found uh out about a background check for a certain individual in uh the the seventies. Um and they found out um that uh, he was on parole to Chicago from the state of Iowa where he had served prison time because he was convicted of sodomy of a young boy. And once um, Kozenzak found out about this, he says the hair on the back of his neck just stood up. I mean, honestly, would have done the same thing to me. I, it really would have. It, it really would have. Um... So after they find out that, you know, Gacy was convicted of sodomy um, and served jail time, um, Kozensack and um, one of his um, detectives, Pakel, um, go to Casey's house to interview him. Um, and uh, this is where it kind of gets uh, like a little like, oh, who's telling the truth? I'm sure it's um, the... Kozenzak and his team, but Gacy's saying a completely different thing because they're saying, they said, Kozenzak said that, oh, we went to the door, we knocked, no one answered, 
Um, and uh, after this, we saw Gacy in his um, his apart his um, house, um, and he saw us, and um, he just ignored us. He, um, but yet Gacy was just like, no, I was on the other side of my house um, talking to my sister on the telephone about a death in our family, um, and I just didn't see them, and so um, he told he had told his sister that he would call her back. And he had finally talked, he opened the door to them. Um, they had introduced themselves as Cousin Zach and Bakel. And they said, hey, you know, um, we would like you to come down to the station and um, give us a, um, a statement on uh, what you saw that night at Nissan Pharmacy, the night that uh, Robert Peace had um, gone missing. And um, Gacy just straight up said, you know, hey, you know, I, I don't have time um, for how much work that I'm doing right now with for the county with PDM contractors. I, I just don't have the extra time um, at that moment. He did not have the extra time. Um, so um, but the next morning, um, Gacy does go to. Um, he does he does make it to the police station where um, he is sat down. Um, and just kind of, kind of like not distracted, well, not distracted, but he wasn't kept there, um, over his, um, free will. Like he wasn't like kept there because he was in custody because there was nothing against him yet. And so, um, the, uh, detectives working there at the moment literally had to kind of, um, just keep Gacy at bay and keep them there for as long as they could because Kozenzak and his team were about to initiate the first search warrant of John Wayne Gacy's house. And uh, one of the um, detectives points out how um, he noticed that Gacy was a blowhard. He had a big ego. And so he says he just he just started feeding that. Um, and literally Gacy just kept going about how successful he was at his business. Um, um um, how literally how many just people he knew. Yeah. Gacy was a very big blowhard. <clears throat> um, and so the way that Gacy acted towards Kozenzak and his team pushed them to get that first search warrant drawn up and it was executed on December 13th, 1978. Um, so, um, and then after this, it leads into where we're introduced to two, um, people that um also are big uh what's the word big contributors to the gacy case and that is lawrence finder and terry sullivan and um lawrence finder talks about how uh gacy lived literally a stone throw away from nissan pharmacy um and how the uh, first search warrant uh did not bring up anything relating to robert peace um no body no nothing of peace um like clothing, nothing like that was found there. But they found things in his house that should not have been there. Uh, they found a class ring with the initials JS, which they later found stood for John Zick, one of Gacy's victims. Um, a variety of pornography, some shackles up in his attic, and two books um, titled, and I think they were under some like um, ventilation up in the basement, um, and they were titled "The Gay Love Letter," "The Gay Love Letters," and "Pretty Boys Must Die." And um, I actually looked to see if these books are in still publication. Um, I I didn't see any. I I did not see them at all. So as far as I know, they are they they are out of print. Um, so I was just interested. I would never read them. <laughs> Um, but I was just interested to see if they were still in print. Um, but as far as I know, they are not anymore. Um, they also found in the trash can a uh, film receipt um, that was from Nissan Pharmacy. Um, they assumed that it belonged to Gacy, but they took that as evidence just in case. Um, and they also found uh, two driver's license um, from two individuals that, of course, were not John Wayne Gacy. Um, <clears throat> um, they also point out how uh, Gacy was married in Iowa and had two children before he went to prison. <clears throat> and after he went to prison, um, his first wife divorced him. Literally after that, he had no contact with her. He didn't even contact his uh, children after that. Um, and so after he was released from prison, 
um, he uh, headed right back to Chicago. He was paroled back to Chicago because, you know, you have to be paroled somewhere to be able to, you know, get out of prison. You, you know, you have to have a job lined up, all that stuff. And they get into that in, I believe, episode two. Um, so, so, or, uh, sorry, episode two of the mini series, but episode three of this uh, mini ser- mini podcast series. Excuse me. Um, so, um, so, um, as they were doing their research, uh, they discovered that quite a bit of the boys that had worked for Gacy had gone missing. Um, and honest, and honestly, um, it is pointed out that there were so many red flags when it came to Gacy, the fact that he got away with it for so long. And actually, sorry, I'm like getting ahead of myself. Um, so like I said, yeah, so there were quite a lot of boys, um, uh, quite a bit of boys that had worked for him that had gone missing. Um, but nothing was brought up, uh, really nothing was like, um, thought about it. Um, literally, um, when Gacy was contacted about it, he said, oh yeah, I haven't, you know, seen that certain individual since this day. Um, like I was going to give him his, you know, his weekly paycheck. I don't, I don't know what happened to him. Um, and Craig Bally actually um, chimes in with, and this is like really scary, this um, saying, he said, there were so many red flags when it came to Gacy, the fact that he got away with it for so long, is he entirely to blame? Or is there something faulty with the system? I see where he's coming from, and it is unfortunate that he was able to get away with what he did for so long. It's, it's nowadays, of course, you would never be able to get away with something like this. Thank goodness. Um, but like, um, I noticed, noticed that, um, they just point out that biggest, one of the biggest reasons why he was able to get away with this for so long is, was his demeanor because he was able to put on two faces, literally one, one happy guy, uh, you know, um, big Democrat known throughout the Chicago area, uh, dressed up as a clown, good neighbor, really nice guy to talk to. And then, of course, the other side of John Wayne Gacy, the monster, the murderer, the rapist. It, it, it's, it's scary when you, re- when you really, really think about it. Um, and so, um, so, uh, once after the the first search warrant was initiated um and they came up with nothing um this i believe and i think i talked about this earlier but i this is when um the um the um watch teams were really in it, were initiated with um two groups of people there was a uh, hockmeister and albrecht um and then there was uh sorry there was two more uh, Schultz and Robinson. So Schultz and Robinson uh, were a part of the uh, nighttime. I, b- I believe they were part of the uh, nighttime uh, watch, whereas Sh- Hockmeister, I feel I'm butchering his name, Hockmeister and Albrecht were uh, a part of the uh, daytime investigation with Gacy. Um, and they were just told to watch Gacy closely, literally follow him wherever he went. If he went into a restaurant, follow him in there. Um literally do not do not lose gacy that is your number one focus right now to jo- to just watch john wayne gacy um um so yeah so after gacy made his statement on december 13th he was put under surveillance and that's how those four came into fruition with watching him um and gacy knew he was being watched the entire time because he had come up to hockmeister and albrecht and said hey are you are you guys cops? And they're just like, well, you know, like we're with Displains Police Department. We've been told to keep a close eye on you. And um, literally every day, Gacy would come out to their car and say, hey, you know, this is uh, this is my agenda for the day. I'm working on these specific um, jobs for the um, community, whether it be like the um, local schools, um, stuff like that. He would literally tell them where he would be going. Um, uh, he would, sorry, wow. He would literally tell them where he was going, like, of every hour of that day. So, it's kind of crazy how literally, um, yeah, the, the, yeah, they literally just knew where he was going at all times. Um, so yeah. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, so, um, 
So yeah, like I said earlier, one had parked one parked in front of Gacy's house, the other on the side in case he dis- in case Gacy decided to take off through his back door. Um and honestly, during this, Gacy, Hockmeister, and Albrecht started to um kind of become not become close, um, but started to really communicate with each other and all Albre- uh, Albrecht and Hockmeister um even had to say, like, hey, you know, like, we gotta maybe step back a little bit here. We got to remember that we're just, you know, watching this guy, but you know, he, he just came across as such a normal guy. You, you know, he was actually, you know, nice to talk to. Um, yeah, really easygoing guy that, that, that's just what's so scary about Gacy. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, and, um, this really happened, um, them, you know, like really starting to, um, get to know each other, communicate with each other more. I don't really say get to know each other. It was more so like actually like starting to communicate with each other. After one night, Gacy goes to a, a little bar called the Moose Lodge and, um, he sends the two, a uh, couple beers. And so, uh, they reciprocate. And, um, after this, um, it's asked, um, Gacy asked them, Hey, do you guys want to go to breakfast? at uh, the uh, pot and pan restaurant, um, which I believe was just down the street from the Moose Lodge. Um, and from then on, they literally went um, t- into every single public place with Gacy. Um, if Gacy went into the grocery store, they were right behind him. If he went to pharmacy, Nissan Pharmacy, I don't know. Pro- he, I'm sure he didn't go into Nissan Pharmacy after that. I'm sure he went to other pharmacies. They were right behind him. Um... So, um, and Gacy pointed out, um, during this, like when they, you know, like would really talk to each other, he said, uh, that he hired young boys because he could train them how he wanted the job done, um, from the very start, uh, with an experienced carpenter, um, nine times out of 10, honestly, even if he showed them, uh, the way that he wanted it done, they would know the way that they would know. And so it would kind of be just a fight of like, Hey, um, do it my way, like, it's my way or the highway, but then, you know, the uh, actual, like, experienced carpenter being like, no, th- this is how you should do it, this is how you should be doing it for your business, and so with, you know, one young boys, they had little to none experience um, with construction, and so he was able to literally teach them how he wanted it to, um, literally, yeah, I don't know. There's really nothing else to add to that. He literally just wanted, he was able to train them how he wanted it done. The specific way that Gacy wanted the job done. Um, and, uh, Gacy was a huge bragger about who he knew. Um, literally he felt that he could get away with anything, literally anything. Um, and like I said earlier, Gacy was, uh, uh, he was, I think, I'm pretty sure I pointed this out. He was, he was a Democrat. He was a huge politician. Um, and he was actually going to run for office, uh, someday. Um, he was going to run for Democratic office. Um, he was married twice and divorced twice. Um, and actually he, um, during a, uh, Polish observance in Chicago, um, he actually met with, um, First Lady Rosalind Carter. And you actually see a picture of him, um, pictured with, or right next to Rosalind Carter and they're shaking hands. Um, and he actually has a button, uh, on his suit, uh, that actually gives him Secret Service clearance for that. But yet the Secret Service are just like, after this, they're just like, oh, um, we don't know how, uh, he got past us. We don't know how he got that pen. But then it cuts to the interview, um, and Gacy is explaining how, um, I don't know why they're trying to hide that. Literally, um, I was in charge of, um, of telling them who was allowed in, who wasn't, um, so, so yeah, from, from the looks of it, Gacy definitely did have, um, the clearance and yeah, he, he definitely was supposed to be there with Rosalind Carter. Um, so yeah. All right. So, um, Gacy used the aura of being politically uh, connected to des- to deceive people into thinking maybe we shouldn't mess with this guy because it will come back to haunt us. So he used that to literally, I feel like, to keep his crime sprees growing for as long as he did. Uh, that was one of the biggest reasons that um, because he was so involved in politics that yeah, if, if you um, tried to f with John Wayne Gacy, it was probably going to come back to bite you in the ass. Um, it, it would not 
go over well for you, it seemed. Um, and, um, you know, after it's um, showcased, you know, uh, Gacy's political side with the Polish um, observance, him meeting the First Lady, um, I believe it's uh, Hockmeister points out how um, Gacy would be able to, it was kind of amazing how he would switch moods. Um, he would go from, you know, like calm and collected, this really nice guy, to someone that uh, is angry, so angry, that is, um, like, not, cr I guess you could say crazy. Um, literally, he'd switch it with, with the snap of a finger. Um, like, and they would actually, like, have to be like, hey, you know, if you, you keep acting like this, we're, we're going to have to arrest you, man. You know, I, we're, I know we're just, you know, supposed to keep an eye on you, but yeah, th th this isn't cool. Um, and so after this, um, it is leads into them talking about Michael Rossi and David Cram, who were two, and I feel they were the two, um, biggest, um, biggest Gacy employees that came with this case. Um, they, yeah, they, they were model employees of Gacy. Um, and because they knew Gacy so well, they had, they had, uh, developed a, uh, relationship with him outside of them being his boss, of him being their boss. Um, they were actually, um, ordered to, uh, dig the trenches in the crawl space. Um, and they were told, um, that it was literally just drain pipe, but of course, um, they were graves. Um, and, you know, as this goes on for a while, um, uh, lots, um, not only his neighbors, but Rossi and Cram, uh, point out that, you know, they're starting to notice the smell coming from down in the crawl space. And Gacy just says that, oh, it's sewage, um, just because the way that my house sits on, um, I, th I think he says it sits on a clay field, and so it's a little tilted. And so, uh, when it rains, the water builds up inside the crawl space and so that's why it stinks so bad because of the the sitting water um and because of this he asks one of his um uh what is it I, I believe it was just one of his construction um friends that he knew um what you could lay down to uh hide the smell of he said sewage but of course we know it was rotting flesh um, and he spread, uh, he said white lime. Um, and then so, uh, Michael Rossi and David Cram were instructed to spread the white lime down in the crawl space to hide the odor. And Gacy, uh, pointed out that about 700 to 800 pounds was spread down there. That is freaking insane. Holy shit. Wow. That, that, yeah, that, that, that is just insane. Um, and so after that, it is pointed out um, that when the investigation first began, Gacy would get about three to four hours of sleep. But as the investigation went on, he was getting virtually none. Um, and at, just as because I, be, I believe um, um, Huckmeister points out that it was it was a ten day surveillance, and literally as the uh, the days started coming uh, winding down, literally Gacy looked like a beaten man because of how 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 tired uh he was he was getting virtually no seat because literally um they had him uh, they they were starting to have him they they really were um so um after this the second search warrant was initiated because of the class so they actually um they wanted to get it uh, so Kozenzak uh, wanted to, uh, get a second search warrant going. Um, but of course, you know, they needed more probable cause and his probable cause was, um, what was it? The class ring that of course did not belong to John Wayne Gacy, the photo slip that belonged to a, uh, girl by the name of Kim Byers who worked at Nissan pharmacy with Rob Peace. Um, and she had borrowed a piece coat, um, to, um, I think she was like taking her break. So she had put it on before, before she had gone on break. Um, and she went to, uh, the photo lab, had the slip printed for her order. And then she went outside and during this, she had slipped the, um, the receipt in peace coat 
and just forgot about it. And so that literally put Rob Peace at Gacy's home, just right there. Um, um, and then also the other thing that initiated the second search warrant was um, Gacy um, had actually asked the uh, nighttime surveillance team, Schultz and Robinson, to dinner at his place. And uh, during this, um, Schultz, I believe it was Schultz, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Schultz, um, had said, hey, you know, I just need to use the bathroom really quickly. And so he goes in, and during this, the heat kicks on. And he relates the smell that he smells to rotting flesh. Because I, I believe he points out that he actually used to work at uh, the, not the, maybe it was the mortuary. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, that, that part's that for some reason that's escaping me. He either worked at the mortuary, or just for how long he's been in the business, he just he recognizes the 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 smell of rotting flesh like that. Um, and so, um, because of that, uh, that was a probable cause right there to initiate the second search warrant. So that was initiated by Kozensak. Um, and literally that, that, that night, um, once it was initiated, starting to get late. So Cozen Zach, um, heads home, has dinner with his grandmother. And then at five o'clock in the morning, um, he gets a call. Does it say? It does. Oh, sorry. I did not write down, unfortunately, who he gets the call from. But, uh, the, uh, gentleman that he gets the call from says, Hey, get, get your ass down to Gacy's to Gacy's home we found bones and so of course after that everything spirals out of control um and the literally so and then you know it's um it's showcasing the house as it's being dug up you're discovering all these bodies um and uh Kozensek says um the smell was just so bad um, and it was literally nothing. He had never seen anything like it. He, he would never, he would never see anything like it ever again because it was that big of a case. Um, and so the, um, episode ends with one of the, uh, I feel one of the, like, one of the, um, most thought provoking quotes by Jay Levine. I believe that. I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I'm pretty sure I pronounced his name right. Let's make sure, though. <laughs> yeah, Jay Levine. And so the quote reads... Wow. I'm so prepared for this. <laughs> the quote reads, In hindsight, everything is very clear. But as you're going through it, you're trying to figure out how he could take victim after victim from the same streets and not get caught. And the only answer you come to is that someone was looking the other way. This man could have been stopped. And I absolutely agree with him. He, John Wayne Gacy could have been stopped. Um, and just, he was just such a master manipulator. Such a master manipulator. Um, that he was, he was able to get away with it for so long. He was too good at hiding this kind of stuff. Um, and yeah. Um, what, an episode, what an amazing first episode of the, uh, well, second episode for this, first episode for for the actual uh, documentary series. But what a first episode. If you guys haven't checked it out, definitely check it out. The Trigger, it's so good. I just talked about like my, my uh, favorite parts that they point out. Because um, you really do learn a lot about um, like the basis of the case. And, excuse me. Oh my goodness. And as the series goes on, you definitely learn so much more, of course, about the case, but especially about John Wayne Gacy. Literally, if you want to know literally um, everything you can about John Wayne Gacy in a uh, six-hour uh, miniseries, this is what you want to um, this is what you want to watch, and we'll be talking about it. We will be talking about it every for uh, the next uh, couple months. We'll be breaking down an episode each month. Um, so yeah. It's exciting. Um, <clears throat> so if you guys liked this episode, be sure to stay tuned uh, for uh, episode three of the Gacy Gazette, where we'll be breaking down episode two of John Wayne Gacy, The Devil in Disguise. Uh, if you guys stayed this long and you haven't seen the first episode, 
kudos to you. I hope you weren't confused. Um, but like I said, in that first episode, I really uh, dive into how I got introduced to John Wayne Gacy, um, why he's he's fascinating to me. And, you know, I go into depth about my um, Gacy collection that um, many refer to as or um, a couple of my buddies have referred to as a shrine. So there's that. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so that's going to conclude uh, the second episode of uh, the Gacy Gazette. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, and until, wow, until, until the next episode, um, I'm Jonathan and I will see you guys later.